Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So today I want to begin a, a new series, maybe for the next few weeks, um, as we approach the Christmas season. Can y'all believe that it is Christmas time? That is hard to believe, but we are right on the very threshold of, of the Christmas season. So for the next few weeks, I want to just uh, share with you a uh, series called Thanks Living. And it's really going to be lessons from the life of one of the lepers that Jesus healed in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 17. And thanks, thanksgiving, gratefulness. You know, I remember my dad teaching me a lot of lessons. I remember him telling me uh, things like, son, you never hit a woman. Uh, you know, I, I remember that. Uh, just, you know, one little nugget. Let me know that it was never right for me to ever hit a woman. Not that I would even dream of that with the, you know, beautiful woman that God blessed me with. I'd never even think of that. But he let me know you don't hit a woman. He let me know, son, when somebody gives you something or lends something to you, you return it in better condition than they lent it to you. And he told me, he said, son... If anybody ever gives you something, you make sure that you let them know how thankful you are, that you appreciate the thought or the gesture. And so that's, those are just a few of the milestone lessons that I remember from my dad teaching me that Thanksgiving is really a lifestyle. And so it's really, instead of Thanksgiving, it's really, it really is thanks living. It's how we live. Just like um, Tim was talking to us, live to give. Like when, as believers, we, our lifestyle is one of giving. We're constantly looking to give away because we are seed sowers. The scripture says that God gives seed to the sower. <clears throat> there's a whole lesson in there that, you know, hey, if there's not an inflow into your life financially, you might need to check the outflow because he gives seed to the sower. For people who won't sow, why, why would the Lord bless? Because anything, listen to me, anything that flows in that doesn't flow out actually becomes stagnant and stagnation breeds infection and decay. And so, you know, when we look at um, giving, being thankful and grateful, um, you know, I'm sure that there are times when you've given somebody something and uh, that person never said thank you. Anybody that ever happened to? It's happened to me lots of times. Um, I've given things to people. I've seen people be blessed with things. Um, <clears throat> I got to be careful a lot of times with my illustrations because uh, because we are a smaller church, many times when I use an illustration, you're like, mm -hmm, I know who he's talking about, you know, because our, our church is, is smaller. 
But so I have to be careful with some of my illustrations. But I remember times in my life that I have given things to people. And I don't mean just like, oh, I gave them a $10 gift. I'm talking about things that cost me thousands of dollars that I would give to them. And um, I gave it because it, to me, I saw a need. I saw I had an extra one and I was giving it away. And then I would see people that I would give things to that they would treat it with like utmost disrespect. I no longer had a say in the matter. You understand? I no longer had a say in how they treated that because I gave it away. But here's a principle. This is a principle that to whom much is given, much is required. There's also another principle that says, if you are faithful in the little things, that he will make you ruler or he will give you more. If you manage what you have well, then he will trust you to manage more well. And so I've had people, now, you know, when I say stuff like this, people come under condemnation, all right? <clears throat> so pick your feet up off the floor, all right? Because I'm fixing to step on toes. I have had people, they, they have said, you know, I'm, I'm believing the Lord. I'm believing the Lord that we ain't going to have to rent anymore. I'm believing the Lord for a new house. And I'm like, you don't take care of the one you got. Why, why, why is the Lord going to bless you with more? I'm just saying, it's biblical. It's biblical. There's plenty of scripture, if you go and you, you look, while the master is away and he entrusts the vineyard. Who owns the vineyard? The master does, not the person taking care of it. In other words, they renters. And if you're renting, you should take care of it like you own it. I was telling somebody a story the other day. Shay and I were building a house, and we had to live for about six months, seven months, something like that, in a rental home. Man, we moved in that rental home, and it looked like a rental home. It had been used and abused, and the yard was all grown up and just funky looking. Right across the street from that house was... Uh, these people, uh, I don't know their name because we were only there for a few months, but their yard was immaculate. But so my view was incredible. Better homes and gardens. But their view was terrible. Renters. And so anyway, I went out there, man, I pulled weeds, I dug up dead bushes, I went to Home Depot, I bought bushes, I planted bushes, I had that yard looking great. And one day my neighbor walked across the street and she said, so, so uh, did you guys buy the house? I said, no, ma'am. I said, we're just renting, we're building a house, of, uh, you know, a few miles from here. And she's like, oh, she said... I thought you guys bought the place because it's been a rental ever since we've lived here and nobody's ever taken care of that property. And so when we saw you taking care of it, we thought you bought it. 
we're going to hate to see y'all go. I'm like, I'm not, because my house is much better than, I'm, than this one that I'm living in. But that's how I've always treated things. And it goes back to the life lesson that George Stewart taught me when I was a kid. Son, when you have something, treat it like you own it. Treat it with respect and dignity, and then God will bless you with more. And so there are times when I'll look at people and I'll, I'll go, so how are you, how are you, if you want a better car, how are you taking care of the car you got now? When Shay and I got married, you know how that goes, don't you? The wife always gets the best stuff. I had me, man, I'm just telling you, I had me back in 1986, we got married in 1987, I was styling and profiling, you know, in my 1979 Monte Carlo with my spoke rims, you know, you know, boom, 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 you know. Now, I don't know what kind of kid Shay was, but her mama and daddy, and I know you're watching, Patricia, or you're listening, her mama and daddy bought her a 1969, 66, that's even worse, (laughs) rusted out Plymouth Valiant. I mean, we ain't talking vintage, we talking junk. Yeah, but she wrecked it. Yeah. Anyway, I. mm-mm. We probably have some pictures, that is. And when we got married, why was I telling this story? Yeah. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So we get married, and she's got my car, and I've got her car. Man, rust is the only thing holding that thing together. But do you know that I washed that car, and I cleaned it up, and I took care of that? I mean, I'm serious. I'm out there washing rust. I'd have college buddies because we lived in a little married student housing. I would have college buddies that they would go like, man, what you washing it for? Like you can't even tell that you washed it. I'm like, well, I know I washed it. And the inside was clean. There are times when I washed it, you you truly could not even tell that I washed it. But I knew. And it was the principle behind the thing. And I cleaned it up. And I took care of it, even though I knew that it wasn't going to look like it was clean after I finished it. But do you know that today I have an incredible car? I've had the privilege of paying cars off. I've had the privilege of giving cars away that I paid off to somebody else. I truly believe it goes back to being faithful in those times. And I believe that it shows the Lord how grateful we are for the things that he's entrusted to us 
And I also believe that when we are faithful in those ways, that God is true to his word, that he will enable us to have more. I believe that when we were in early church and when we uh, met in my living room, then we moved into a building for the first time. And that building had lots of issues and we spent money. A lot of people told us that we've, like, why are y'all putting money into this guy's building? Because it's a waste. And we literally, one, our very first time that we went in to, um, to handle uh, the renovation, it cost us $35,000 to do that renovation. And there came a time where we needed to expand and do a second renovation. That renovation cost us $75,000. But we were there for 10 years in that location. We treated it like it was our own. And there were, there were times when um, we wanted to do something. And, uh, hey, can we take this wall? Absolutely take it out. Hey, can we, can we move this around on the inside of the building? And normally you have to go through all this red tape. All we had to do was send an email and we got an email response back, usually the same day, go ahead. Why? Because that landlord knew the, the quality, the creativity, and really the, the, the care that we put into his facility. He knew that we were going to do this thing well, I believe in the years that we took that uh, building such good care of it that when we came to this building and when we didn't have a church large enough to borrow $1.8 million, we didn't have membership large enough to support a facility of $1.8 million, that God brought a network of people and the bank together that he honored us because we honored him through being good stewards of what he had entrusted. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that as we are looking now, our debt with this building that we have and a little bit on the property that we have down the street, um, is somewhere around 1.8, correct? Isn't that right? Uh, so we've paid down you know, a good little chunk since uh, we uh, went into this building, which is what now, three years? So we've been in this building for three years, but how, how long have we owned it? So two and a half years we've owned this building, and I'm believing that God, because of our faithfulness in so many other areas, that God is going to bless us, that you and I as a church family are going to be completely debt-free. I believe that. This is what I'm also believing, that not only is the church going to be debt-free, but you're going to be debt-free. You, your families are going to be debt free. All right? I believe that. I'm claiming that for Shay and myself. And so, anyway, you, you understand how important gratefulness is, how important thanksgiving is in the life of the believer. Let me share a couple of things with you before we dive into reading. Thanks living 
is a lifestyle. Like it's a lifestyle. It's not something you have to be told. It's not something that you have to uh, leave notes to yourself to remind you. Now, sometimes we have to do that just to jog our memory, but I'm talking about like when it's a part of who you are, it's just something you do. When somebody gives me a gift, there is going to be some type of thank you in multiple ways. Normally, it's going to be a verbal thank you, but there's also going to be some kind of formal follow-up to that. You're either going to get a card from me in the mail, or you're going to get an email from me. You're going to get some way to let you know how thankful I am because it's part of my lifestyle. I want you to understand the appreciation that I have for whatever act of kindness that you gave to me. There are times where I just throughout the day, I thank the Lord for, uh, you know, my family. I thank the Lord for the fact that, you know, my mom drug me to church when I didn't want to go because here I am in front of you today and it was her obedience that what's happening in here today is a product of my mom's obedience to bring me to church even though I didn't want to. And I can't tell you how many times that I come across people that they don't make their, uh, their young people, they don't make their children come to church. And I'm just sitting here or standing here today uh, before you and I'm saying this to you. You ought to be bringing your kids to church. Well, I don't want to drive them away from Jesus. Listen, if you aren't going to bring them to church, I can guarantee you're giving them the keys to the vehicle to drive them away from the Lord. If they ain't feeling, the, feeling Jesus at home, bring them to church and let them not feel Jesus here. Does that make sense? Bring them to church. They should be in church where Holy Spirit is moving and uh, they may not get it for years down the road, but the scripture is faithful that says every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word will not return void. Every word will produce fruit. It might not produce it next month or next year or five years from now, but I'm telling you what, before that person leaves planet Earth, we declare over them that the word of the Lord is going to be manifest in their life. I'm declaring that for some of my family right now, even though I don't see the evidence of it in, in the now. I'm looking into the spirit realm and I'm seeing it as if it already is, even though right now it's not. Are you following me? And so lifestyle, uh, life, thanks living is this lifestyle of gratitude. When somebody does something for you, you should say thank you and yes, ma'am, and thank you, sir, and be grateful for it. When somebody does something for you, you ought to be thinking, what can I do for somebody? In the words of, the, uh, of one of my favorite pastors 
who is now in heaven with the Lord, E.V. Hill, he said, when God blesses you, most of the time he hasn't even got you in mind. He's blessing you so he can get it through you. Yes, we get to keep a residual. Yes, the Lord wants us to be blessed. But listen, if you're a giver, if you're if you're one that the Lord is ministering to, you will uh, uh, ministering through, you will never be in lack. Do you hear what I'm saying? You will never be in lack. Why? Because that would be contrary to the word of God. I want you to look at this. Don't just ask for help. Ask to be made whole. Don't just ask for help. Most of the time, people come and they want, you know, when they ask you for something, they'll ask for help. Or when they're asking the Lord, they're asking the Lord, help me with my rent. Help me with my, you know, my child. Help me with my whatever. You fill in the blank of what they're asking the Lord uh, for. But God is wanting wholeness for His family. He's wanting wholeness for his children. And so I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 17. And let's read about these 10 lepers that Jesus came in contact with. All right. So we'll read it all once and then we'll kind of dissect it a little bit. In verse 11, are you there? I'm reading out of the New Living Translation and it says, As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, circle crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now I'm having to be a little uh, reserved in the way that I think they would be shouting. But when it says they cried out, I'm having to be a little re reserved because if I shout into this microphone, you know, it'll hurt your ears and TV and all that jazz. But they were crying out, Jesus, Master. They're trying to, Jesus. I mean, it's, I don't know if you've ever been to some of these little villages over in Israel, but they're very compact and like hundreds, probably thousands of people sometimes in these places. This was a small village, but I'm pretty sure at times it would be packed. So they're trying to get the, the word out. I'll dissect this just a little bit more. Let's read on. Verse 14. He looked at them, Jesus, and said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them... When he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, circle shouting. Because he was crying out, now he's shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan, circle Samaritan. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Circle foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So we, we get this image in the reading of the story. 
and I hate sometimes to use the word story. It's an account. This actually happened. This is not just some little Sunday school story that we tell kids, like the three little bears or something. Not that we tell three little bears in, in, in kids' church, but you know what I'm saying. This actually happened. Jesus was... was um, was on his way to Jerusalem. And while the scripture says that while he was between Galilee and Samaria, kind of out on the border, the outskirts, there was this little village. Here's the thing. We don't even know what the name of that village was. And it's just this insignificant spot. And I want, there's so much beauty in this part of the scripture. Like you have to read between the lines and ask the Lord to give you revelation because many times, like I've read this and never even, that never popped out to me. But I'm like, hmm, the writer, Luke, takes the time to tell us that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem and that he was between Galilee and Samaria. However, we don't know the name of the little village. Dude, there's a powerful message in there somewhere. Are you following me? You don't look like you are. Are you following me? All right. Here's the exciting thing about that is that there are places in your life that the people that were at that village at that time, you know why they were there? Because they were lepers. They were outcasts. They weren't allowed in Galilee, Samaria, or Jerusalem. They had a special place over here for the lepers. I don't know if you know a whole lot about leprosy, but I've done a little bit of studying on it. And uh, I'm telling you, you don't want to go to the internet and look at those pictures. There are, there are pictures of people with leprosy that their nose doesn't exist. It's just a hole in their face because leprosy has rotted their nose off. There are people that you can, they just have, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but they have a permanent grin on, uh, on their face because they don't have lips and you can just see their teeth because leprosy has eaten their lips off. There, there are times where people with leprosy, their, 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 um, Fingers just fall off. Their hands will fall off. Why? Because their body is literally rotting. It's flesh that is rotting away. Their bodies are rotting. I remember reading a story one time of Beth Moore. If anybody knows who Beth Moore is, she's a Christian uh, uh, artist that uh, and an author and speaker. And she wanted to do some ministry in a leper colony. She had always wanted to do ministry in a leper colony. And one time while she was overseas, she came across a leper colony and she's like, I want to go do ministry here. And she, as she went to the leper colony, the stench was so bad. The rotting flesh, the smell of it was so bad. She could not bring herself to go inside. She went by the next day, three days total, she went to try to go into to the leper colony and she said I could never I could never make myself go in because I I could not overcome the stench so you, you have an idea of what this town was like, this little village was like. Can I tell you the enemy wants 
me and you to get into this mindset that we are outcasts. He wants us to get into our mind that we are a people that are separated, that, you know, that, 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 uh, there are parts of our life that are dying. He wants us to get into this place that our dreams are decaying, uh, that prayers that we have offered up to the Lord are lifeless and they're dead and, and, and they're never going to come to pass. There, uh, uh, there are these mindsets that the enemy puts in us, but I'm here to tell you today that that place that you might be or might have been, because I I've been there before. I've been to that place. I've lived in a place of poverty mindset where I, I was never good enough, that there was never going to be enough, that I couldn't give things and minister to people because if I did, then I wouldn't have enough. I, I've been to those places and that is a place of, 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 of stench before the Lord. The Lord, that's not a fragrance. Like when we give and bless somebody, that's a pleasing or Roma. But when we try to keep and there's a spirit of stinginess or poverty or greed, uh, that is a stench before the Lord. It's almost like that repulsive leprosy type smell. But I'm here to tell you what, that, you know, there's a Galilee, there's a Samaria, there's a Jerusalem, but there's a place that God says, it's not even worth me telling you the name of the place where you are now. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that for your life. Like where you are now, what you have been going through. Come on now, I'm, asking, I'm saying somebody needs to receive this in their spirit today. There are places where you are that you feel like that you are wasting away. There are places in your life that you feel like you are in this place of decay and God is saying, don't even worry about it. We ain't even going to name this spot. There's going to be a time coming in your life where you won't even remember this day. It will be a faint memory. As a matter of fact, it will become a memorial for you and you will give me glory for what happened in that place and that I brought you out of that place. I'm telling you, that's going to happen, at least for those who are going to receive it. And I receive that for me. Because there are some places in my life I want to see in the rearview mirror, and I don't want to know the name of that place I just came from. I don't even care to know the place of that stop. I don't care to know the name of that town, and don't want to know anybody that I left behind there. I want to be headed towards Jerusalem. I want to be headed towards the will of the Father. So, I want you to look at the very first, uh, actually, yeah, first verse, or sorry, 14, verse 14. I think it's like the third verse down, all right? So he looked at them, oh, sorry, back it up. They were crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They were asking for help. In some versions of Scripture, look at it like this. In some versions of Scripture, it says pity. Have pity on us. They were looking for a handout. They were looking for help. Like, have mercy on us. They couldn't have a job. They couldn't be near their family. They had to live together with other sick people. So these are people 
who, uh, unless they were people of substantial means, like Naaman, who we read about in the Old Testament, unless they were people of substantial means, they were poor, they were outcasts, and they were, I don't know what mercy means, I don't know what pity means, but they were saying it in a way that, hey, have mercy on us. And it could have been like, can you spare some bread? Can you just give us a little bit of money so that we could buy some food? It could be, you know, can you give us some money that we, we don't have to sleep in the alleyway tonight? But I want you to understand that although they were looking for help, a handout, that's not what they got. They got a healing because this is the important part that Jesus, he does not just want to help us. He wants us to be made whole. And that's really what we should be seeking. I want you to look at this. They were cleansed of their leprosy, totally cleansed. But I want you to look at a few things here. Number one is he said to them, it doesn't make sense. Jesus sometimes, he seems like he's got ADD or something. Because they said, can you help us? And he's like, go share y'all self to the priest. What? But see, they immediately knew what he meant. Because the priest was the only one who could declare somebody ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. And so whenever they said to him, help us, and he said, go show yourself to the priest, they knew what that meant. And so they get excited about that. But they're, here they are, they're asking for help. And notice like when they say this, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. All right, in the, in the New Testament, the only people that call Jesus master are the disciples. The only people that, Jesus, that call Jesus rabbi, master, are the disciples. So these people who are calling out to him, you have to understand there are a few things going on. All right? They have a knowledge of him historically, Jesus. He's a guy, and he's traveling around doing stuff. But when you call him master, he's master, savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain, not fragrance, the stench of the leopard. Yeah. They called him master. Master, while they were lepers, they followed him as master. While we were yet sinners, he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. I'm telling you what, he, they call out for him, master, have mercy on us, have pity on us. We need a handout today. And Jesus says, I know you need a handout, but today you're going to get a healing. Today you're going to get wholeness. 
I know what you're asking. And sometimes we go before the Lord and we ask for the best thing we know to ask. And there are times when that's not good enough. But you don't know it's not good enough. But God knows. And He sees the intent of the heart of the person asking. And remember, I talked to you just a few weeks ago in the Courage series, and I said, God hears every prayer, every request of the righteous. God hears every prayer. Sometimes His answer is no, because that's not good for you. Sometimes His answer is yes, I, be, I, I will give you that request. Sometimes it's like, uh, you're not ready for that now. I know you think you are, but you got to mature up a little bit, and, and, and it'll come in time when your faithfulness. And then there are times where God goes, you're not asking big enough. You're not, not asking high enough. The bar is really way too low. I need you to raise that bar because I have something better for you. God wants wholeness for you and me. Uh, Stephen, come, and I'm going to begin to kind of close this out here. I want you to look at this. Thanks living is an act of faith. Listen, if you look at Scripture, many times we're waiting on God. And you've heard me say, God is waiting on you. We're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. We're sitting here praying from this standpoint, and I believe it's a theologically wrong standpoint, for us to say, God, heal our land. God, heal our land. My God, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, uh, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If you look at that, that's an if-then statement. If we do this, then God will do this. But we're praying it backwards. We're praying that God comes in and does something supernaturally amazing, and God's going, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it through you. Because when we humble ourselves, my political view is no longer important. When I humble myself, when I humble myself, what I want in the material world is no longer important. What you want takes precedent over what I want. When I humble myself, when I humble myself and then turn from my wicked ways, that's when the nation is going to be healed. And can I tell you, not until. There, I, that, I, I'm telling you, we probably spent a month on just that verse of Scripture alone. What's going to heal America is the people of, of God. Start acting like the people of God. What's going to heal America is for our nation, our people. I know y'all get tired of me saying stuff like this. Instead of burning people's business down, helping people. Instead of smashing windows, repairing windows. Even if we disagree. I told my son, we were having a conversation one time. 
he's like, uh, so dad, why do we, he, he asked me this question. He's like, dad, why do we hate Muslims? And I'm like, where did you get that idea? And he's like, well, they don't believe like we do and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, son, I don't know if I ever gave you the idea that we hate Muslims. Well, you know what gives, you know what gives people that idea? When people stand on a platform like this and call them ragheads, that's what, that's what sends that message. And I, 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 I'm trying to correct some thinking in my young son at that time. And I said, son, we don't hate. That goes against the very, the most important commandment that Jesus said. We don't hate. We disagree with their views and faith, but we don't hate them. We can have, we can sit down and we can have relationship and we can go have coffee and we, you can come over my house and we can cook out and we can hang out. Doesn't mean we have to agree. When we humble ourselves to that degree, that's when the Lord will begin to heal this land. I'm telling you, that's how God is going to heal this land. And you want me to say something else that will make you all mad? <laughs> of course you do. The reason that we pray that way and the reason that we adopt that false theology is because we're too lazy to do the actual work. Ouch. Stop. We don't want to do the work. God, can you do it all? Can you just show up and whoo, fix it all at once? And he's like, I fixed it on the cross. I put it inside of you. And now I need you to release it. That's what that's about, guys. Thanks living is this active faith that we have to act first. It's an act of obedience. Like it's a stepping out. And I can prove to you through Scripture time and time again, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is one of those that says, if we do this first, we do first, then Jesus does this. When we start acting and operating, it's an automatic byproduct. The Scripture says, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. And that scripture is not talking necessarily about money. It's talking about you give mercy. You give grace. You give peace. You give and then it will come to you. You ever met those people that they are just a walking personified sourpuss? They're just, they're just misery in the flesh. Everywhere they go, it's just like a big cloud hanging over them. And they wonder, I, I don't understand why I ain't got no friends. Nobody wants to hang out with me. Because you are just miserable. Nobody wants to be around that. The scripture is very clear. If you want to make friends, show yourself friendly. In other words... Give, and it'll be given to you. 
pressed down, shaken together, running over, so much so that kind of what you said, you won't even have a need. There won't be any need for you. As a matter of fact, you'll have so much, you'll have to give it away. You'll have to give it away. Thanks living is this act of faith. Jesus said to these lepers, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. Hang on. Why are we going to show? Now, why are we going to go show ourselves to the priest? Ain't nothing happened. I still ain't got two fingers. You know, why, why am I going to go show myself to the priest? Nothing has happened. Give and it'll be given to you. Step out. Do your part. And I, I want you to look at this. It says, as they went their way, they were cleansed. In other words, there is a reward in obedience. When I begin to step out and do my part, all of the sudden, what happens is God sees the faithfulness. And listen, God is not, he, he's motivated by faith. That's, what, that's the currency God operates in. He's motivated by our faith, our obedience. That's what God is motivated by. When He sees us, when He sees us do our part, when He sees us operate in like, God, I'm doing it. Even though I don't see it, even though I'm not experiencing it, even though all the circumstances in my life are actually the opposite, when He sees us operating in obedience. And so they go their way. And as they went their way, they begin to see a manifestation in their life, in their body, of healing. Faith is obedience in the faith, face of your obstacles. I don't know what you guys are looking for today in your world. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know mentally where, where you are and what you need from the Lord. I don't know what it looks like. I do know what it feels like, though, to need something different than what your circumstances are. I know what it's like to need something different physically than what your physical circumstances are. God, I need this, but I don't have it. I know what it's like to be emotionally and spiritually at a place where it's like, God, I need this, but I don't feel it. God, I need this, but I don't sense it. God, I know you're here, but I, 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 don't, I don't feel not the slightest goosebumps. It's dead as four o'clock in the morning. But how am I operating in obedience? And I'm telling you what, faith is obedience in the face of your obstacles. This is what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're about to stand and we're going to declare some things together. 
In Luke 17, 19, this is what Jesus said when that one leper came back. He came back and he said, your faith has healed you. Your faith did it. What did it? Jesus didn't touch him. Jesus, we don't even know how close they were. Because the scripture says that they cried out, that they were shouting. Y'all ever been in Disneyland or some theme park or somewhere out in a ballpark or something? And you see somebody clean across the field that you either needed to get their attention or wanted to. And you acting like a fool in front of everybody. Hey! Over here! We don't know how far apart they were, but we know it was far enough that they had to cry. They had to shout to get their point across. Most people, to get what they need, the pastor's got to touch them. The pastor's got to pray for them. We'll have people that are down front as part of our prayer team, and it's like, yeah, y'all are not quite as good as the pastor. I need the pastor to pray for me today because he's got the special anointing of Jesus on him. And while I believe that's true, so do they. Jesus didn't touch them. He said, your faith made you whole. Not these. Your faith made you whole. There was something in your spirit that said, today I'm going to believe what he said. Today I'm going to grasp a hold of that and I'm going to start living by what he said. There's something about what happened there. It's like, Okay, I believe it. He said do it. So um, we're not going to go hang out at the pool down here uh, of Bethesda. We're not going to go uh, uh, you know, eat some figs off the fig tree or go to the uh, uh, Garden of Gethsemane and pick olives off the trees for a while. They immediately started out on a trajectory to go to the priest. So what did they do? They put one foot in front of the other and they started making their way. What, what is that? That's obedience. That's obedience. And many times we've heard the word. God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us prophetically. And we're wondering why that prophetic word has not come to pass in our life. And God is going, I already... This is, I, I have angels. The scripture said that he watches over his word to perform it. That's what the scripture says in Psalms. And, and there are angels, I believe, that they are standing at attention. They are just waiting on the voice of God himself to say, it's time. They believe it. They, they're operating in obedience. But we have not operated in obedience. We have not followed through on our part of that great if-then statement. And so God is, is waiting on it, uh, the if to be manifested in our life. And if we will just do our part, God says, hey, they're ready now. Go, enact the Word. He's watching over His Word to perform it. I believe it, man. Don't just ask for help. Ask to be made whole. Don't just ask for help paying your light bill. Ask for God to heal you financially. Don't, 
don't just ask for help. God, I need help with my teenager. Pray for your teenager's wholeness. Pray for wholeness. Y'all, y'all getting ready. Y'all, y'all want me to make you mad again? Because sometimes we're praying for our teenager when we need to be praying for ourselves. Because the problem might not be your teenager, it might be your parenting skills. And you operating under this generational curse, this generational pattern. Now, I don't believe that believers can be cursed. But I do believe that you can operate under unhealthy generational patterns. And that needs to be broken. And instead of praying for your teenager to get his act together or get her act together, sometimes we need to stop asking for help from that teenager and we need to say, God, bring wholeness to my family. Bring wholeness to me. Fix me, God. I lay myself on the altar. I kill me, God. I just sacrifice myself. And we need to be praying for wholeness. And you can put any situation. It could be your teenager. It can be your finances. It could even be your health. God's asking you uh, uh, to, or you're asking God to help you with your diabetes while you shove uh, angel food in your mouth and little Debbie's and everything you need to do your part in obedience if you want God to do his then you do yours I promise you God will show up he will show up don't just ask for help ask for wholeness this is how you can apply it all right why don't y'all stand with me and we're gonna go home how can we take what the Word is saying to us today. And that it just doesn't go in one ear and out the other. How can we take what Holy Spirit is saying to us and we can become not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word? How can we do that today? Determine a step that you can take. What can you do? What can you do towards your wholeness? What can you do? I'm serious. What's an area of your life that you go, Pastor Rife, if I were just being honest, I'm not happy. I don't feel like I'm living at my fullest here. And you understand when I say you, I'm talking about me too. What can we do? And then do it. Take it. Take the step. Because I really believe that we're at a place that you are this close to your breakthrough. You are this close to your breakthrough. I'm speaking to people in this room today, including myself. You're this close to your breakthrough. But how many times have you done it and you knew, you? oh Jesus, I need to stop and just let y'all go home and eat. How many times have we gone through an act and you knew you weren't going to follow through with it? You knew you're going through the act, but what you're doing, you're, 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 you're satisfying your flesh. But you knew you weren't going to go through it. Rife, you knew you, Rife, you, knew you weren't going to go through with it. What can we do 
and then take an action step to do it. I promise you, you are this close. You are this close to your breakthrough. Do you want it? Do you want it? I promise you, if you, there is a, an anointing in this place today for breakthrough in areas of your life, I promise you it's there. So right where you are, I want you to get in whatever mode that you need to close your eyes or however you need to really focus on the Lord. And I'm going to lead us in some declarations and we're going to walk out of here and we're going to go to work in doing whatever the Lord is saying that we need to do. Mm, thank you, Lord Jesus. Woo! Get ready. I'm just telling you what happened to me right now at this moment right here on this stage. The Lord just told me what I needed to do. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> Shay, don't ask me what it is. Because I know you. my wife is going to want to know. What did the Lord tell you? Don't ask me, babe. Okay, Lord. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Y'all, I'm sorry. Y'all are just witnessing a moment with me and the Lord. I'm going to do it because Lord, you said this is my action step for all this. Hmm. And I'm brave enough. So Holy Spirit, as we leave today, this is my prayer for this beautiful group of people that I call my friends and church family and everybody that's listening, both now live and those who will hear it in the future. I declare over you freedom. I declare over you breakthrough. And that as you partner with the Lord, whatever, the, whatever His plan is, He will make a way for it Whatever his will is, I promise you, he will come and do it here. And when you partner with him, you're going to see a breakthrough that you've been seeking for years. You're going to be seeking for years. There are people today, I'm telling you, there's an anointing for breakthrough in this house today. There's an anointing for breakthrough. Whatever it is, if it's, you know, I could give you all kinds of examples. If it's, you know, put down the cigarettes, you know, uh, put down the, the, the drinking or put down the pornography or put, put away the attitude and whatever the Lord says that you, he's asking you to do in that unhealthy area of your life and you want wholeness, Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, come. Give courage. I have courage to take this step of faith, God. Right now, I feel there's a courage in the house. I feel there's a courage in the house that was the kind of courage that had Peter to step out of the boat who knew that it was scientifically and naturally impossible for him to walk on water, but he had the boldness to do it. I, I'm telling you, there is an anointing for breakthrough in this house this morning that if you will receive it and step out, God is doing something in this house today. 
I don't know if anybody can feel it in this house but me, but I'm telling you, it is here. And today it is done in Jesus' name. Because before you ever do it, before you ever physically do it, you've already made your mind up that you're going to do it. And the minute that you have made your mind up, that's when your breakthrough happened. That's when your breakthrough happened. Woo, Jesus. God, I receive it for me. I receive it for me. I receive it for me. And I receive it for this house, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. So I'm going to lead you through this. And if you want to come into agreement, come into agreement. Holy Spirit, I receive my breakthrough today in this area of unwholeness in my life. And today my unwholeness became whole because I have received a breakthrough in my mind, in my soul, and today in my body, I receive it. And God, I have the courage to do what you have asked me to do. And I will be faithful and I will, I will, I'm telling you, I feel like the Lord is saying, take action within 24 hours. Take action within 24 hours. I hear that in my spirit. Take action within 24 hours. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on. Amen, amen, and amen.